0: But Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2, verse 1 says, "...for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation?" And I love the title of that book. But so great a salvation. After, if it, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. We have a wonderful testimony of the reality of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that Jesus came to die, that he rose again. He was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. Not only the testimony of the word of God and those living witnesses in the early church, but we have the work of the Holy Spirit today. Uh, Not only of the early church do we see the signs, but all through the Old Testament, we have proof and validity to the truth of the claims of the word of God. Praise the Lord for what Jesus has done. And so I just want to talk to the kids a little bit about the gift of salvation. If they want to come up here. Any kids want to come up here? Got something in this bag. I don't know if I want to open it again. That was a little scary. You guys believe me? Huh? You don't believe me? Oh, you're pretty good. Should I open it again? I'm scared. I mean, it's just a brown bag. It's holding something in there, right? We can't see it right now. It could be something scary. But you guys don't believe me? Okay, you're pretty smart. You don't think it's that? Now, what if I were to take out something that, you know, oh, a smaller brown bag. So you didn't believe me anyway. So you're like, okay, we'll, we'll take what's in the brown bag. Now, would you take something from hardware, Hank? Yes. Yeah. A little quicker from something than a big bag? Which one would you take first, a big bag or a little bag? The oh. little one. You're smart. Now, what if I took out this and you can see the wonderful packaging. So, which would you choose? Huh? Which one? The little bag, the big bag? Huh? Big bag. This bag. Yeah, I think you're right. I'd take this bag because it looks just really good. You know, and for some people, they look at the gospel, so great a salvation. And Jesus has. You know, the cross up there, look at the cross, kids. When Jesus died, was it a clean cross when he died? No. And really, the cross can be offensive, and people don't like it. They think it's worse than a brown bag. They think it's just horrible, right? But what does the cross mean? He died. Jesus died. And that's bad, right? It's bad, but it's good because he died for our sins. Good answer over here. Jesus died for our sins. And so he holds out not just something in disguise, but before the whole world he has given them the opportunity to receive the gift of salvation. Not just because he died, but what happened on the third day? He rose again so we know the sacrifice on the cross is sufficient and so he paid for our salvation what a great salvation do you believe it's a great salvation now what do we need to do you know what we need to do if i had a really scary bag i was going to try to hold it up here and say who wants to receive this big bag but you all didn't bite into that. you like, oh, it's, it's good stuff in there, right? But what do we need to do? Do we need to receive that salvation by faith in Jesus? What does that mean? If we receive the gift of salvation by faith, you would have to believe what's here is good. And then you have to come and take it. Not take it, but receive it. That's a better word, Right? It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's God's gift. And he holds out this gift. Who will receive this gift? Now, I have a gift. I have, and they're wrapped in nice little wrappers. I could give you a lot of candy, but I know you already have a lot of candy, right? So I have one piece of candy that I'm willing to give. Anybody want it? Okay, here it is. I have it. Do you want it? Okay, yeah. Don't you? Right here. Okay, I'll hold it lower. Who wants my gift? You don't earn it, but you can receive it. There you go. Who else wants a little gift? You can't earn it, but you can come receive it. Right? All of you, come here. So Each one of you, come here. And take, receive this gift. All right. Oh, you got to come to me. Come here. Get out of your comfort zone. Right? Come here, kids. You know, kids, Jesus is holding out his gift of salvation. Right? Isn't he? And what a great gift of salvation it is, right? Now, it's just, this is just one piece of candy. It pales in comparison to what Jesus offers us. What does Jesus offer us? Eternal life. He offers forgiveness of sins. He offers us a relationship with him kids and i hope that you simply receive that gift that jesus has given you by faith okay and the other thing is don't neglect it don't think oh that was that was good that's okay and then just do what you want to do if we truly receive a great gift of salvation from Jesus, right, you older kids? We truly receive that great gift. Will we love Jesus all the more? Will we say yes, Jesus, to whatever he asks? I sure hope so. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would bless these kids and help them to understand how important it is for them to believe in what you've done and in who you are, Lord Jesus. And accept that gift that you offer them of salvation. We ask that you would just watch over, strengthen, and guide them all the days of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, kids. You can go back. We're going to go back to Matthew. It's good to pray, so let's pray once again. Lord, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for not only uh, the testimony from your word, um, not only the reality that we can trust in the validity of what has truly happened, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross, eternal life in you, by having faith in you, Lord Jesus. Uh, Help us to see the different responses that there could be and may we have the right response of resting in you jesus we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen so if you would turn to matthew chapter 27 and and while you turn there um i just want to point out uh Kids, I probably should have shared this with you if I can find where I put my notes. There we go. So just aside, get us off track while you're turning there, just to keep us all awake. Do you know what the laziest mountain is? Anybody? Mount Everest. Everest, right? Mount Everest and we like the idea of rest and some of us got up for uh, sunrise service some of you got up some of you kids maybe got up to look for candy and now we're like ooh it'd be nice to rest or maybe we're not ready for that yet we're ready to go eat some wonderful food and talk to some family and sit in our comfy chairs and maybe take a rest resting is good Sometimes the best rest is after a long, hard day's worth of work, right? If you're just sitting there all day long, sometimes it's hard to sleep at night. But the rest in the Old Testament isn't just about sleep, but it is about being in the right place with God's blessing and provisions. The idea is to be, uh, you know, with the Lord or where the Lord wants you to be, so in the right place. And... So when we look today at this passage, the thought came to my mind that we humbly rest in the Lord because Jesus won the victory. And so the believer humbly rests in the victorious work of Jesus. And so the two key words, which I've already uh, stressed, one is rest and the other is work. So who does the work and who does the resting? Now the resting points to the fact that whatever we do is not to secure our salvation, but we do what we do to glorify Him. It doesn't mean that we just sit idly by and watch the world go by. It means that we trust God in His work, that we don't have to worry and fret about where we stand with the Lord God. We know where we stand. And that drives us to a point where we're going to serve him no matter what. The resurrection here in this passage, and and we're going to look at Matthew 27, 57, and we're going to go through 28, 20. We probably won't read all the verses, but this is the portion of scripture I was studying this week in preparation for this morning. And in this passage, the resurrection reveals two truths. It reveals that there are some who reject Jesus living in a false sense of security because of that. And that there are also believers who accept Jesus and they will live a faithful life of submission and victory. And so first let's see how in Matthew's account that there are those who reject Jesus living therefore, with a false sense of security. If you would turn to twenty-seven, Matthew 27, verses 62 through 64. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, That deceiver said, after three days I am to rise again. Now, what did they use against Jesus? That he would tear down the temple in three days, he could build it back. I think they understood, but they wanted to twist his metaphor for their own good. They understood what Jesus was saying, these religious leaders, evidently, because they're saying, well, we're concerned about this now. (laughs) So we have to do something about it. Verse 64, therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. Now that guard is plural. You'll see later on that it it includes several guardsmen. And they went and made the grave secure and along with the guard they set a seal on the stone. There's two words that they used in this passage about Jesus. Deceiver. And that deception. They did not believe. And so they're setting up for themselves their own false sense of security through their own efforts. And their own efforts are fruitless. And so... They called him a deceiver, and they decided we got we to secure this grave. And really, the rock was there, the this, this stone. They, they made sure the stone was secure, Petra, this large rock. And then they wanted, in verse 60, and then they wanted to make sure the body wasn't take, taken by disciples. And so they had Pilate give them soldiers to make it, as secure as possible, as they could. And so they placed the guards. Now this would ward off any aggressive grave robbers, right? Anyone that was going to come and take Jesus' body by force. And so they set themselves up to to ward off those who would uh, come and try to take Jesus' body by force, but they also wanted to do it So that someone with higher authority couldn't come say, Hey, I have the authority to take this body. And therefore they set the seal upon the the grave. They sealed it. And it's not just that they may have used ropes, but they put the seal upon the stone so that no one could come and break it without the right legal authority. So if someone came along, they could say, well, are you greater than Pilate? (laughs) We used his seal. (laughs) Do you have more authority than Pilate? I don't think so. And so they trusted in their strength. They trusted in their stone, their strength with their guardsmen, their stone that they had set up, their seal, and none of this was enough Jesus arose with power and authority he arose with power and authority now verses 11 through 15 in verse in chapter 28 I want to to show you after this whole account that we read earlier in the service of his resurrection we find here Uh, those who did not believe their response. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, "'You are to say his disciples came by night "'and stole him away while we were asleep. "'And if this should come to the governor's ears,' We will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did it as they had been instructed and this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. There's a lot of, of commentary, a lot of pastors who have discussed about verse 13 and 14 and myself included about what grave danger these soldiers were in. And yet somehow... The ability of these religious leaders to protect them was secured. But notice what they did. They, I, I want to point out how human money is fickle, right? It is fickle. Our, our possessions, they can burn down. They can burn up. They can rust. The economy can tank. Nations have been invaded and lost all their wealth. It says, and it's important for us to see, they used money to try to get their way. And and it's important for us, if we were to back up and look at how Jesus butted heads with these religious leaders all the time, the religious elite, they thought their way of work, religious rights, would save them. But no. And now they're trying to use money again to get their way. And so they urged these guardsmen to lie. The chief priests therefore ensured their protection but the money and their lies were not enough. Jesus appeared to how many in First Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 we like to call the resurrection chapter. And encourage you to read it sometime this week. Over 500 brethren at one time had seen Jesus Christ alive. More than enough proof. But not only do we see that their efforts are fruitless and their money is worthless, but we see that those who reject Jesus, that's destructive. The religious elite's rejection sent Jesus to the cross, right? Look at verse 27, 51 through 54. Backing up, we're jumping back and forth a little bit. Look at 51 and 27 of Matthew. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, the tombs were opened. And so what happened? Verse 50, I should have started out with that. Jesus yielded up his spirit. And all this starts to take place. This, this natural phenomenon. Phenomenon in nature took place. The rocks were even split. The tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. So later on, and remember, how many earthquakes are there? One here when Jesus died and one when he is raised again. From the dead, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now, the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, I want you to pay attention. What does it say there in verse um, 51? First, that the veil of the temple was torn away. That veil kept sinful man separated from our holy God so that the wrath of God wouldn't destroy men. But now because of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, we could enter, as Hebrews talks about, into the veil just as Jesus entered in through the veil and made that once-for-all sacrifice, and now we can have a right relationship, a close and intimate personal relationship with not only the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, but the Father. There is no separation anymore for those who have turned to Jesus Christ. So that earthquake destroyed the veil of the temple, and those who reject Jesus, notice, They rejected Jesus and soon the temple would be destroyed. And soon the nation would be lost. The nation's rejection led them down the wrong path. The religious leaders' rejection led them down the wrong path. And we know for those who never turn to Jesus Christ, though they may not say, I refuse you, they have already been condemned. John 3, 16 and following. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because the world's already condemned. If they don't make a decision for Jesus accepting that free gift of salvation, they have rejected Him. They who don't fall at the feet of Jesus will be broken. To reiterate this, and we really don't have time, just write in your notes, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10 which speaks about, this is a passage that speaks about the chief cornerstone. And really it gives us this picture, if you don't fall at the foot of the cross, that is if you don't fall at the feet of Jesus, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, you'll be crushed by him. He is the chief cornerstone. You either fall broken upon him and be saved, or you allow him to totally break you and destroy you. That's kind of a summation of 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. There's better, a better, This uh, we can have a di- better discussion or uh, exegetical look at it someday. But verse 8 especially, their doom is appointed if they do not turn to the chief cornerstone. And again and again, people try to find eternal security in their works and their religion and and that or they just don't want to look at it all and they find their security in all the things that the world has to offer. But I pray that each one of us here today knows better and that we have simply reached out to Jesus and received that gift that he offers us freely and without reserve. They had a false sense of security. Who is the one who provides for physical needs? Is it we ourselves? Who is the one who provides for our our eternal needs? It's the Lord. The Lord provides for our physical needs. The Lord provides for our spiritual needs, our eternal needs. And therefore, we have to humbly rest in the victorious work of Jesus, there are those though who do live in victory, these are the people who fall at the feet of Jesus by faith. So let's look at the faithful submission of the believer. Would you get the yes? Thank you, and the next one, too, please. Let's look at the victorious life. Look at verse 27 57 through 60. We're still jumping around. Um, 27, 57 through 60. It says that when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb. We know here is a victorious life. We can't earn our salvation. But once we have trusted in Jesus, there should be a change. There should be something visible. There should be fruit. There should be this victorious life, and a victorious life is seen in the life of Joseph of Arimathea as he served our crucified and yet risen Savior. What about the women who came early to care for Jesus' body, right? Right? In verse 1 through 10. I mentioned it this morning. (laughs) Why do we celebrate so early? I say blame the women. They went out there so early and found the empty tomb, right? Praise the Lord for their faithfulness. Isn't it fascinating though? Their faith. Uh, Well, their faithfulness their service they loved jesus now maybe that faith wasn't there at first right because they didn't know he was raised but jesus had said he'd be raised but their victorious life and following jesus they came and they were the first to see in verse 5 through 8 of chapter 28 their angel told the women do not be afraid for i know that you're looking for jesus who has been crucified he's not here for he has risen just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Hey, go look, see. Hey, and then just go live your own lives. Don't tell anybody. No, that's not what he said. A victorious life is one that says, Jesus is risen. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Come see. Go tell. Go tell. They had fear. Yeah, I'd I'd be fearful when I see an angel. If I'd ever see an angel, I've never seen an angel, I don't think. But they had great joy as well in this passage. Joy is because of the victory. They had great love for the risen Savior because of his victory and yes there was this fear because of his victory but praise the Lord that would grow and mature and they would fully understand look at verse 9 who met them who met them in verse 9 so they're going and someone meets them who is it it's Jesus Jesus greeted them and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And so, first, there's a victorious life. is simply believing in Jesus and being willing to live in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. This, this relationship leads us to victorious worship. Would you click the next two slides for me, Corbin? Who met? So who met them? It was Jesus. And they prostrated themselves. Proskynao. That is They bowed down on their knees, on their hands, maybe flat-faced because Jesus is alive. And I think we probably would have if we were to see Him alive, if we were in their shoes. But they bowed down and they worshipped Jesus. They had come to serve Him by taking care of his body, and they ended up worshiping him, falling down at his feet. Who was standing? Jesus. Who was flat? The women. Lying flat. A reversal. It makes me think of, just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Do we have to straighten our lives out before we worship the Lord, before we have a victorious life? No, we receive a victorious life and we receive the ability to fully worship Him when we simply receive by faith His gift of salvation. Come as you are and fall at the feet of Jesus. And there is no worship. There's no worship unless it's true faith in the the crucified and risen Savior. Do you believe? Will you believe if you don't yet? Will you turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life? Will you receive that gift of salvation by true faith in him? if you truly believe, you will truly worship. Do you worship the risen Savior? And then the victorious proclamation. I was getting ahead of myself a few minutes ago. Go and tell. Their worship continued in their obedience to go and tell. And you know, it was it was a long play production, right, that we watched the other night. Some of us have watched others, but you just have that. Uh, wonderful, fantastic ending with all those voices in in harmony singing at the end about the crucified and risen Savior who rescued this one. He rescued this one. That is each one of them. He has rescued us. We may not have much to say to people but we can say Jesus has saved me. He's rescued me. He has delivered me from the bondage and the penalty of sin. You know, we also need to think about how Jesus submitted to the Father and won the victory. Not just that he won the victory, but if he hadn't submitted to the Father, to the will of the Father, he would not have won the victory. Will we be willing, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's embarrassing? Will we be willing to worship him in front of others? Will we be willing to proclaim his name to others? He's given us eternal life. He has done a great many things. And so when we rest, it's not that, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. No, it's praise the Lord I have to, I get to (laughs) do this. Praise the Lord I get to tell others. Praise the Lord I get to walk with them hand in hand every day. Through the difficulties of life. Rest does not mean that we don't have difficulties. We may have many, great many difficulties, but we have the Lord Jesus with us. And so the believer humbly rests in the victorious work of Jesus, which propels us to have purpose for the rest of our lives. And I love this quote Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I am throwing all my good works overboard. And so the ship is sinking for everyone. The ship is sinking for everyone. It is appointed once for men to die and then comes the judgment. The ship is sinking. You're going to go down with it if you hold on to all of those those good works. If you hold on to you're going to make it to heaven on your own. If you put your faith in your security i am throwing all my good works overboard and lashing myself to the plank of free grace the only thing that's going to save you is god's free grace that plank of free grace i'm going to lash myself to it i'm going to tie myself to it for i hope to swim to glory on it i know i will swim to glory on it that is on jesus are you going to go down with the ship Or are you going to cling humbly to our crucified and risen Savior? And as we cling to him, he will lead us to do many things we may never thought we would do. So let's let's follow Jesus wherever he leads. Let's rest in the confidence of his victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless and strengthen each one of us as we go out, that we would cling to you daily, that we would enjoy and, and uh, just savor that sweet fellowship we can have with you and that we can have with other believers. I pray, Lord, that you would just encourage each one, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us. We give you praise and worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. risen. So let's go together praising our risen Savior. Before we do that, we're going to take up this morning's offering. Do we have some young men come forward?